I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. My name is Carmen Brock, and I am wondering, what is the story with Fort Armistead Park? Fort Armistead Park. I don't know a thing about it. It is, I guess, a Baltimore City Park somewhere, I think, in South Baltimore. Why do you want to know? What's your interest? You know, I don't know much about it either, but I'd heard there were, like, catacombs there, and I'm so curious about what that is, if that's really true. It's just an area of Baltimore that I've only heard about and not really explored. Well, I should tell listeners, uh, Carmen, that you... uh, have taken a little time off today to go to Fort Armistead Park with me and uh, have a look around. I figured before we go, let's just check out a couple Yelp reviews and see what we're getting ourselves into, yeah? Okay, sounds great. Okay, I got Yelp up here on my device. Daniel L. says, I would say that unless you're a local going to fish, have a camp out, or get your... Oh. uh, By some dude or lady... There is little or no reason to go here. It is dirty and disgusting. You can see the key bridge, but who cares when the guy in the car next to you is getting... Okay. (laughs) The fort itself is covered in condoms and graffiti, so at least they are practicing safe sex. Don't go here. It's pointless. Let's see. Here's another one. Fort Armistead Park is on the water with an old U.S. Army fort on the property. The fort itself defended Baltimore until 1920 and then was used to store ammunition during World War II. Now it's abandoned. It's not blocked off, so adventurers can explore the old fort going through graffiti-covered tunnels. Are you still up for an adventure to Fort Armistead Park? I'm down for it. I'm going to plug in the GPS coordinates, and uh, let's take a trip to Fort Armistead Park, shall we? Sounds good. All right, Carmen, so uh, here we are. We just rolled up, uh, got out of the parking lot, and uh, we're looking at a beautiful view of the harbor right now. looks like there's a a fishing pier here, maybe a little fishing going on out there. Uh, what, What are your first impressions here? You know, it is really beautiful. I didn't expect it to be this waterfronty. It's a beautiful spot. There is a lot of trash around here. It's clear that this place is uh, not very meticulously maintained by any uh, governing organization at this point. Yeah, that sounds right. There's a bit of trash here. Here in the parking lot area, there are also uh, several cars and trucks just sort of parked at various distances from each other. And who knows what's going on in there? We're not. That's not really our concern right now, though, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's curious, but we're here for other reasons. We are here, I guess, to find the fort. It's called Fort Armistead Park. I don't see a fort here uh, from the parking lot area. You can see the water. I do see woods over there and a staircase going up in the woods. Should we head up there and see what there is to see? Yeah, Aaron, I actually wouldn't know. Like, I wouldn't even know that there is a fort here if if we didn't know about it like everything right now in our view is green and water and there's barely a view of these steps over here well let's go check it out and see what there is to see whoa we're on the top level of something we've just walked up this uh path in the woods and yes i believe we are standing on the roof of what was once 
a military fort, Fort Armistead. But uh, wow, it's thoroughly overgrown by the forest. Nature is reclaiming this place before our eyes. And the graffiti, that's no joke. This entire place is just covered in spray paint. Absolutely. And it actually looks, some of it's weathered graffiti, but some of it's fresh, it seems. Should we walk along this top wall of the fort uh, and, yes. and just take in the view here and see what there is to see? Let's head this way first. Aaron, if you had to guess how many levels this place is, what would be your guess? I think there's at least two levels here. You've heard stories of tunnels, so I'm guessing there must be some sort of lower area. And uh, presumably the tunnels lead into the interior of this fort? The interior, if it mimics at all the roof that we're on... It would be, it would go pretty deep, right? I mean, this roof that we're on is actually way bigger than I anticipated. Yeah, it's a concrete structure, but it's like stripped of anything else. I mean, there's no guns or anything on the fort. I mean, not that I can see. No, me neither. I don't even know if there was. Whoa, okay, so how do we access this? It looks like there's some kind of gun turret area here, or maybe what was once a gun turret area that I think we're going to have to hop down to get to that stairway to get to the next level. You ready to ready to do that? Ready. There's some police caution tape over there as well on the ground that looks like it's been there for a long time. Okay, now we go down these stairs. Okay. There's kind of a cement pavilion area here on this level of the fort. It looks like this is some kind of a venting chute or something to the interior of the fort. It's blocked off with caution tape, but man, you could... Let's have a look down in this hole and see what's what's in there. I brought two flashlights. This one's more powerful. Let's see if we can get in there. Whoa! Whoa. (laughs) I mean, this looks like some sort of chute for something. Like, where I grew up, you would throw laundry down a chute. It kind of looks like that, doesn't it? Like, it goes subterranean. Yeah, you definitely don't want to go in through here, though. Uh, I don't think you can get out. Whoa. Yeah, from here you can look down these chutes and see what I think is the floor level of the interior. Take the flashlight and lean your head over there and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yep, that seems right. Now, do you think that those levels are accessible? We're going to have to venture further down the hill and see if there's tunnel entrances down there. So now look over here. You'll see there's a stairway down to a path that may lead to the floor level. How are you feeling? I am excited and a bit nervous and very curious. All right, let's head down there and see what there is to see. And now that we're down here on this lower level, I think I might be seeing what you've heard tell about. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. So what is this? This is a tunnel into the interior of the fort. I guess this doorway uh, is where soldiers would go in and, you know, whatever kind of command center stuff was happening in there. But... God knows what's in there now. And it's really dark. And it's not blocked off in any way. You could wander right in there. If you wanted to, you could. 
should we try it? Just like a couple feet? What do you think? I've got flashlights. I've got a headlamp. Now, it has become clear from Yelp reviews and other people's information that other people come to this fort with their own agenda to meet people and have whatever kind of adventures they intend to have with each other. I'm mainly concerned that we don't intrude on or disturb anyone who might have wandered in there before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we, we should go to the entrance of this tunnel and maybe, like, announce ourselves so that we don't surprise anyone that's coming in there. I think that's a great idea. We're here at the entrance of the tunnel. You can probably hear the reverberation in my voice. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn on a flashlight. And, yeah, you'll see that there's, like, probably a six-inch layer of garbage Mm. on this kind of mud-covered floor in here. There are these cement arches. Clearly, people have been in there. The inside walls are covered with graffiti. Uh, I'm going to take a couple steps in here and just say hello. Hello. Coming in to have a look around. Don't mean anybody any harm. I'm coming in too. Now we've made it about uh, 20 feet into this tunnel. It's completely dark except for these flashlights that we've got. I'm going to look around the corner here. Hello. God, I hope we can remember how to find our way out of here. Oh, goodness, yeah. And then we'll look around this way. And it is pitch dark. You want to go further in? Yeah, you want to? All right. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, so much garbage on the floor. Hello. So this is, like, really in the interior. We are way in here now. Oh, my God, this is freaky. So here's some kind of a, you all right? Sorry, okay. yes. All right. <laughs> There's, uh, yeah, this is, I guess, some kind of a cell or room or, you know, okay. I guess closed off room in here. What do you think? Oh, my God, look at what's on the wall. Oh, gosh. Wait, what are those? I get, oh, I thought they were spiders. They're crickets. The walls are completely covered with crickets. Oh, my gosh, Aaron, look. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, there's like a horde of crickets in here. Oh my God, they're all over the ceiling too. Okay, cool, all right. Are we okay with this? We are good, look here. Okay, they're everywhere. Okay. Okay, well, I hear other people's voices somewhere. (laughs) It is damp in here, Mm -hmm. it is completely dark. The walls are covered with hordes of crickets. I'm officially freaked out. Are you okay? Uh, I don't know, I mean, I guess, Look, I see, okay, I see the lights yes. of the end of the, t- the tunnel. Let's get back. Let's get out of here. And we're saying goodbye now to our cricket friends over here to the left. <laughs> okay, here we are. We made it out. And I see some other people going into another entrance down there for whatever adventure they want to have. I think we might be done here. Okay. Yeah? All right, sounds good. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, then let's head up to the... Uh, other level of the fort. They don't seem real excited about the fact that we're here. Okay, we're gonna do a little recap here where everyone can see us and we can see everybody else. 
Um, yeah, I think I just didn't want, you know, like you said, Aaron, I didn't want to disturb anyone's, like, environment or, you know, like, if they're here for reasons I don't know. I don't want to be disruptive. I think, yeah, I want to be mindful of that. This is, it's fascinating to think about the second life, I guess, that this place has, uh, you know, after its, you know, uh, time of military service. You're right. And also, I'm curious about the history of this place. I, like, I wonder if this is actually its fourth or fifth life, in fact. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau on site at Fort Armistead Park on Hawkins Point, South Baltimore. After the break, we're going to try to answer some burning questions like, why was a fort built here in the first place and what happened to it? How did it fall into ruins? And what else has gone on here in the years since then? More in a moment. All right, I'm back here again on the roof of Fort Armistead, this time with a Baltimore historian who's going to tell us the origin story of this place. I'm going to let him introduce himself. My name is Johns Hopkins. I'm director of Baltimore Heritage, and we're a nonprofit organization here in the city. Uh, I think our mission is uh, rounding up Baltimore lovers and trying to uh, save our historic places and, and help our historic neighborhoods. First things first, yes, Johns Hopkins is this man's real name. Johns is a great guy. I've actually called on him multiple times since I started doing this podcast because a lot of the questions you guys ask, they're about topics that Johns has already researched thoroughly. I got to give a plug to his excellent YouTube series. It's called Five Minute Histories. Johns actually did a video on this very place, and you can find a link to it at our website, wypr.org curiosity. For uh, our purposes here, I want to have Johns start off with a little backstory on this area where the park is situated, Hawkins Point. Uh, Hawkins Point, people, uh, European folks started arriving here in the late 1800s, probably to work on the water. Um, We are very much a water-oriented community. And then pretty quickly, though, a bunch of chemical manufacturers started moving in here. There is a road uh, named Chemical Road. A chemical road here in Hawkins Point. There's also Quarantine Road is the road you take uh, to get into this uh, park. How, How did it come to be called Quarantine Road? Any idea? Yeah, back, uh, say, in the heyday of European immigration, uh, the end of the Civil War to World War I, we were an enormous port of entry for European immigrants, uh, many years second only to Ellis Island uh, as a point of entry in Locust Point. And uh, uh, back then, if you wanted to come to America, one of the things you had to do is prove that you were healthy. And before you got to land on uh, the shores of the promised land here, uh, you may have had to go to quarantine if you came off the boat and you you had the sniffles or you looked like you might have been sick in any uh, any regard, uh, the customs officials would send you over here uh, to quarantine, literally, until hopefully you proved that you got better and could come on over to America. If not, unfortunately, you might have to get on a boat, uh, go back to wherever you came from. But it was quarantine in that, uh, in that old world sense. So this secluded little area at one point was uh, to quarantine immigrants. It is also a host to, as you say, uh, chemical industry facilities. And it's called Fort Armistead Park now because before it was a park, it was a military fort, yes? 
Yes, it was. It was built in 1896. The United States, uh, after the Civil War, and especially leading up, we had a lot of conflicts over Cuba with Spain, the Spanish-American War. And in the years leading up to that, a secretary of the Army, um, I think it was William Endicott, decided we needed to really upgrade our coastal fortifications. We had some uh, fortifications like Fort McHenry that was uh, you know, nearly 100 years old at that point. Uh, but he he thought that we needed to really beef up uh, our uh, guarding of our coasts. Um, Fort Armistead here was part of that. We can talk a little bit about what it meant to beef up your fortifications. And, and he really uh, was serious about that. Um, but the fort got built in 1896. Why is it called Fort Armistead? Presumably there was some military leader named Armistead. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Armistead, Major Armistead, was the in charge of defending Baltimore in the War of 1812 when the British were invading. They had just successfully burned Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, in uh, the War of 1812. And they were coming after us because we were making uh, small, fast clipper ships that were literally uh, running circles around their slower British uh, ships of war. And they wanted to stop that. So they came after us, Fort McHenry, our defense against the naval invasion um, in Patterson Park, Hampstead Hill, our defense against the land invasion. But Colonel Armistead was very successful in, uh, in defending Baltimore. Uh, of course, that is the uh, origins of the Star Spangled Banner as Francis Scott Key is uh, sitting bobbing up and down right about where the Key Bridge is, watching this bombardment take place. And then when the dawn breaks, the flag is still there. Um, Armistead was successful in defending the, the city, uh, but not so successful himself in the long run. He died at age 38 of exhaustion. So I think his he, he literally put uh, everything he had into that defense and, uh, and it, it, it cost him with his life eventually. So Johns, we are perched on top of the uppermost part of the fort. Is this where at some point there were some kind of artillery guns pointed at the water in case we got attacked by sea? Right, that, that's exactly right. And in fact, in 1896, when Endicott was, uh, was building these forts across the country on coastal areas, they were really state-of-the-art. I mean, think of just the most modern things that you could have. But back then, uh, our upgrades included radar so we could see what was coming at us, uh, radio so that we could communicate even with airplanes. So air defense was part of our, our naval defense at that time. Um, and then these really long-range guns that fired 1,000 pounds shells uh, way out to sea uh, using, again, that sophisticated uh, radar and radio technology. So even though we're now maybe a football field or so inland, we're not literally right on the water's edge, the guns here could easily, easily reach out to uh, uh, an invading ship. They're not here now. What happened? Whatever happened to the guns? Well, well. So we finished the uh, fort here uh, around the end of the 1800s, just in time for the Spanish-American War to end. So uh, we were afraid that Baltimore might be invaded as part of that conflict. Uh, we weren't, um, and this fort never saw any action. Um, in addition to the fort here, part of the defense was a minefield out in those pristine blue waters, uh, just in case. So, so this fort never saw any 
any action. And in fact, the, the fort and the whole entire sort of Endicott plan of building uh, naval fortifications along our coastline ended right after World War I. We didn't see any action in World War I either. Um, and then the, the Army and Navy decided that these were really no longer needed. So they eventually moved the guns uh, out. During World War II, it was used to store ammunition. And then in the 1950s, it was used during the Cold War. We had anti-aircraft units uh, just in case whatever was happening in the Cold War. Um, but again, uh, in all of those conflicts, uh, we were ready but never tested here. So today, this place is called Fort Armistead Park. I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it's a park by some definition. It's owned by the city, the county. How does this work? Yeah, so in the 19, after the uh, Cold War era in the 1950s, uh, Baltimore City, which is the owner, uh, had a vision of creating this wonderful park along the water. Um, some old timers uh, here and around here will, will remember fondly coming for things like Easter egg hunts. There was an annual Easter egg hunt along the water. Um, apparently a, a, a new wonderful playground, so lots of kids uh, uh, swinging up and down, bruising their knees on the swing set and whatnot. Uh, but we never, uh, we, we were getting close to having it be a wonderful jewel in our park system, but kind of never got there. And uh, today, as we're standing here, we've got this really unusual old fort that would be fabulous right along the water with about as gorgeous a view as you could get. But it definitely is looking like it needs more than just a little bit of love. It needs uh, a lot of pruners, uh, a lot of uh, trash removers, and a lot of love to, uh, to get it to sparkle again. This place seems so utterly forgotten and forgotten for so long now. It's hard to imagine this being on the city's priority list. Do you have any idea if the city's got any plans whatsoever for Fort Armistead Park? I don't, although it's interesting if you uh, if you look back, say, even at old Baltimore Sun articles over the last uh, couple decades, you'll see this tension between uh, the neighborhood folks here, and the neighborhood is not big. I think by the last U.S. Census, it was 24 people, uh, up by two from the last census. Uh, but both the small number of, of Hawkins Point neighborhood folks, but, but a, a larger number of uh, uh, residents in South Baltimore who do want to use the park. So in these Baltimore Sun articles, every once in a while, You'll, you'll see this tension between people who want to use the park complaining that the city's not doing enough and then the, the city complaining that it is so isolated and remote that it doesn't have the resources to do more than it's doing. And, and so I think we have that, um, that tension is clearly still here uh, and has been here for a long time. But I don't know if there are any plans for a, a big effort. And it would take a pretty big effort to bring this back to a sort of a crown jewel part of the park system. It really is an interesting symbol of what happens when a city decides to just turn its head and look the other way for an extended period of time. There has clearly not been any hand of uh, maintenance here for uh, at least a generation. And anyone who ventures in there is probably hoping that everybody else turns their head and looks away as well. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be the one to go in and find them. There is one more chapter of history at this place that Johns Hopkins hasn't mentioned, a more recent chapter that I think just adds to the mystery of Fort Armistead Park as a kind of off-the-radar liminal zone. It turns out from 1998 to 2012, this place was home to an annual all-night electronic music festival 
called Starscape. And during that 14-year stretch, for one night a year, thousands of people would descend on this place, dance all night, and disappear again the next day. The transformation that happened between what it was, you know, 364 days of the year compared to that one day that was Starscape was just mind-boggling. Terry Kilby is one of the DJs who used to spin records at Starscape. He says they'd have three different stages set up in the parking lots along the waterfront at Fort Armistead Park, and the location couldn't have been more perfect for an all-night rave. So you had this group of like-minded people descending on this almost post-apocalyptic historic site with, you know, it's covered in spray paint with all this history. And it was really the people that made it such a magical place. Uh, This was the most open-minded group of individuals I've ever come across in my entire life. That scene, that's, that's what drew me in originally. It didn't matter who you were, what you did, what you look like, um, your, your sexuality, your gender, everything, it didn't matter. You just came and you belonged. You just walked in and, and you instantly made friends. And that's really what I think attracted so many people to it. It was kind of like a flea market, nightclub, circus, adult playground. This is L.G. Concanon, a.k.a. DJ Lovegrove. He was a co-promoter of the Starscape Festival for eight years. He helped organize the events, complete with laser light shows, huge sound systems, stilt walkers, fire breathers. L.G. says Starscape was an early version of the massive electronic dance music festivals of today. EDM festivals as they exist now are giant corporate mega-sponsored affairs. We needed thousands of people to show up just to break even. And it was all locally, it was a, a do-it-yourself scene. We were we were finding investors to help us. We were, you know, we didn't have, uh, we didn't pay big money to big graphic design and PR firms to, to sell these tickets. The tickets were being sold out of local record stores. You had to go to the record store to buy the tickets. I mean, there was an element, you know, we didn't use Ticketmaster or Live Nation to sell tickets. We printed up our tickets ourselves and you sold them by hand at the record shop. And those tickets sold well. By the end of its run, Starscape had an audience of more than 12,000 people, not including the ones who snuck in through the woods. Incredibly, this was an event that was fully permitted and sanctioned by the city of Baltimore. Lonnie Fisher is the original creator of the festival. He lives on the West Coast now, but he told me in an email, quote, I visited Fort Armistead Park back in 1995 under the advice of someone from the Parks Department. As soon as I drove in, I started the application process to do an event. It was amazing. The biggest selling points were the two nice paved areas which lent themselves perfectly to a main stage and a B stage. And of course, that huge expanse of space along the water with the view of the key bridge. Props to Lonnie Fisher because he was really there leading the way for that. And he was respected all across the industry for those actions. Terry Kilby says most people didn't even get to these legendary parties until midnight. And they were still going on when the sun came up over the key bridge. Personally, I was a big fan of that back then. You know, I I just like to stay up and listen to music all night. Uh, There's no better way to spend the night as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Surrounded by friends, a wonderful environment and just incredible music on multiple stages. What was it like to see Fort Armistead Park like the day after when Cinderella had turned back into a pumpkin again? It was a massive chore. LG Kincannon was on the cleanup crew. He says the day after the event, 
The idea was to leave no trace. Yes, we trashed it for a few hours, but we cleaned it up and made sure it was there for others to use by, you know, by the afternoon. (laughs) The annual party came to an end in 2012 when the city pulled the permit for the event. Attendance had hit a record high, and Baltimore and Anne Arundel County complained that their emergency medical crews had been overwhelmed by calls for help from the venue throughout the night. The decision left organizer Lonnie Fisher angry and bitter. He said in his email, I'm not going to mention any specific names, but you can take it to the bank that Starscape ended for BS reasons due to a political vendetta. But isn't that typical Baltimore? One step forward, two steps back. Starscape disappeared 10 years ago, but for the people who experienced it in its heyday, like Terry Kilby, Fort Armistead Park is always going to be synonymous with those all-night parties. To me, that's always going to be what that place represents. No matter how much additional history there was before and even after the event, um, in my mind, Fort Armistead Park is always going to represent that magical event that we had every summer called Starscape. I'm going to bring listener Carmen Brock back into the story now. Carmen, who asked this week's question about Fort Armistead Park, who braved the tunnels beneath the concrete bunker, uh, and who got us to the understanding that we have now about this very weird place with so many different lives over decades and centuries of history. Carmen, what are you left thinking here at the end of this story? I I am really surprised by the lives that this place has had. I... I'm just sitting here listening to um, all the many layers and viewpoints and experiences that were had there, and it's it's incredible. I should say, by the way, uh, I tried to get in touch with the city's Parks and Rec Department uh, by email and by phone. They did not respond to uh, my questions about whether or not they have any plans for the future of uh, Fort Armistead Park. And I have to say, I kind of love that this place sort of remains this untended, forgotten kind of chameleon of a place that can be so many different things to different people with different purposes. And, you know, you could say, like, it's a shame that Baltimore City hasn't given it more attention, but it's also, I feel like at the end of this story, kind of beautiful that a place like this can remain so stubbornly off the radar and refusing to be tamed by anyone who might want to, like, reclaim it. Does that make sense? Oh, it does make sense. That's a, I like the way that you put that. It's... Yeah, I think that this place for so many, like when we walked in, it was to me like it had this mystique and mystery and like, and a, and a layer of like, I just uncertainty about it. But hearing about Starscape, it especially, like that is fascinating. I love that that was a place of belonging for so many people. Carmen, I want to thank you for a fantastic question and an excellent adventure. Thank you, Aaron. This was really a fun adventure, and I love getting to know Baltimore and all the areas of it. This is this was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. Got a question of your own? You can put me to work at wypr.org slash curiosity. And where we go next is up to you. And uh, hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. 
and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.